Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. We continue with our reading from Sri Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We're on the 90th Anucheda. After taking a bit of a detour to completely explore some of the Praman verses that Jiva Goswami used in his Anucheda, we'll return to the Anucheda proper, remembering that the the main point of this particular Anucheda is when it comes to understanding the nature of Maya, it's beyond mundane comprehension. So we use the word achinta, inconceivable. It doesn't fall into the into a it doesn't appear to have a rational basis. It's action. And how the Lord manifests the world and how the jiva who is a, in its essence pure is affected by that material manifestation. So again, this was all rel- related by Srila Jiva Goswami in the context of a discussion between Maitreya and Vidura, where Vidura placed certain questions, and now we're coming to those responses, this being the first of those responses in regards to how's this happen? How does God make a world out of his very own existence and not be affected by that? Because our experience is generally within the effect there is some some close adherence to the nature of the cause. And how does the pure jiva, whose nature is consciousness, become affected by the material world to such an extent that the jiva itself takes on an, an identity in the world which is foreign to its true nature, takes on a body and calls the body its very being. And the body and the senses and the mind and everything that goes around, everything that comes around forming a particular embodiment is completely completely accepted by the jiva as its very nature. So the response by Maitreya in the third canto is, well, if you want to understand, such is Bhagavan's extrinsic potency, Maya, which contradicts all logic. For, due to its influence, the living entity, who by nature is a ruler and liberated, experiences impoverishment and bondage. And then as the Anucheta developed, we went into the, the narration of the prayers of the demigods um, prior to the encounter of Indra and Vritarastra, not Vritarastra, Vritrasura, yes. Um, so now we're going to continue with the Anucheta proper. In Srimad Bhagavatam 6.9.35, accepting the results of your own actions, although there 
his mention of Bhagavan's acceptance of agency in regards to action, this too is to be applied in the sense of his being the impelling agent, Hetu Karta, whereas the immediate action is carried out by the jiva. Therefore, here also the supremacy of his intrinsic potency has been shown. Jiva explains a little. Thus, in verse 2933, by indicating that Maya is like a reflection, it is also shown that Bhagavan is untouched by her. This has also been made evident by the following statement, keeping Maya at a distance by virtue of your intrinsic conscious potency, you are situated in the exclusivity of your own self. Uh, that's from the Bhagavatam's first canto. Then he also quotes, uh, Jiva Goswami brings in a verse from the second canto, Maya turns away from the Lord, feeling ashamed to appear before him. In this way, after discarding the possibility of there being any Opposition of Maya and Bhagavan, the problem of the jiva's relation with ignorance, is solved by the same Maya itself due to its transrational nature. The word Isvarasya of the ruler, the jiva, is to be related only with the pronoun yat, and here the pronoun yat is to be taken in the third case, by which because such meaning is appropriate to the context. One more, and then we'll explain a little. The word Isvarasya, of the one endowed with ruling power, signifies that the jiva is capable because consciousness is intrinsic to its essential identity, and as such is liberated. Nonetheless, by the influence of maya, the jiva experiences impoverishment, meaning that its inherent radiance of consciousness is eclipsed, and bondage, meaning that it also enters into the net made of the gunas displayed by maya. So it's, it is bewildering. I mean, the, 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 the maya potency of the Lord putting the jiva in, under its spell when in essence Maya is is inert, it, it it's not conscious, except it has a conscious agent behind it. So there is no rational explanation for how we, as pure self, as Atma. are bewildered except by the fact that we're infinitesimal in comparison to the Supreme. Now, a nice analogy is given in this regard. And it's, it's put forth in, either here in the Anachate or in the commentary that it's like the sun. Now, the sun has its illuminating potency. Now, that illuminating potency of the sun can produce a reflection of light. 
And that reflection of light also has the potency of the sun, but it's not the sun proper. So in a similar way, if we take that analogy and look at the what can happen under the influence of the reflection, that gives us some indication of what the scripture says happens to the jiva. So maya is a, is a real potency of the Supreme Lord. Just as a reflection of a light or the light of the sun in a body of water or against a mirror will create an effect which is not the sun proper. It's a reflection of the sun's energy. But in that reflection, the, the experience is that we could be blinded by that light. You could be, and you could be made to accept an experience of light that was completely bewildering to you. The chromatic effect, the, you know, just the effect of the sunlight bouncing off water. You could wreck your car. I mean, if it was if it was at a certain angle, you wouldn't be able to see where you were going. You could walk into a wall. I mean, the sun's reflection alone could exert that kind of a potency. So in that way, we can see the Lord, the sun isn't really the, although it's the ultimate source, Still, they use this analogy to say, but really, it's reflected. The, the potency of the Supreme is reflected within the material manifestation. So that reflection alone can bewilder us. I'll read a little bit more. The condition is expressed in the following statement. The jiva's autonomy, Aishvarya, is lost through identification with such deluded intellect, maya. Intending all this, the Shrutis also stated in their prayers that the jiva has lost its intrinsic opulence because of, of associating with maya. So I want to read a little bit from the commentary before we move on to the next Anucheta. And we'll cover the next two Anuchetas, which the next two and this one are Maitreya's full response to by Vidura's inquiries and then we move on to a, a little bit of the pounding of the post because this subject can be Jiva really, really wants to get the point across. Does this mean that Maya is responsible for the Jiva's unfortunate plight? If so, then she must be accountable for such an act. The fact is, however, that although the Jiva is under the influence of the avidya potency of Maya, it is not through her own independent initiative that the Jiva is compelled to do so. The Jiva's ignorance of its true nature is beginningless. So we can't say Maya was the initial agent for our bewilderment. You can't trace out a beginning to our, our being influenced by this false sense of self. 
It is not that Maya resolved to place the jiva under a vidya at some particular moment in time. Hence, she is not responsible for this condition. Nor is it the result of the jiva's own conscious or unconscious act of will. For that, too, would imply a beginning of a vidya. Consequently, the conscious jivas coming under the sway of inert maya is explicable only by accepting the transrational power of maya. A little bit more here. Because maya is described as a reflection of Bhagavan, she cannot overpower him. So again, back to the analogy. The reflection of the sun in a mirror or in a body of water is being here in the analogy likened to Maya. The reflection is not going to go back and overpower the light of the sun, even if it's a big mirror. It's just not going to happen. The sun is the source of the illumination, just as a reflection of the sun cannot cover the sun. But a reflection can influence others. Similarly, Maya cannot influence Bhagavan, but can overcome the jiva. Thus, there is no bias in her behavior, in the fact that she can influence only the jiva and not Bhagavan, although both are Chitmatra, and both exist in the same body. This is also understood from other Anuchetas. And then a little bit of the nature of the Maya. This is coming from the Bhagavat Sandarbha. So we've already gone over this there. Jiva writes there that Maya has two divisions, the Jiva Maya and Guna Maya. The first one conceals the knowledge of the Jiva, and the second one presents the objects of enjoyment. If the light of the sun reflects into a person's eye, it covers his vision and simultaneously presents a polychromatic display. But the reflection cannot influence the sun. Similarly, Maya can influence the jiva, but not Bhagavan. So what's the nature of this Maya? We really can go to the fact that it's an imposition upon consciousness that can be removed, the influence of the Maya Shakti. And it's not, in essence, the reality. And Krishna speaks of this in the one of the core verses of the Bhagavatam, the Chatur Sloki. So these four verses from the Bhagavatam are basically unpacked throughout the whole presentation. You could say that the four verses in and of themselves would be sufficient for complete and total spiritual awareness if one had extremely fine discrimination. In other words, could completely think clearly and ascertain what's really Krishna is saying to Brahma in these verses. But one of the verses reads in English as follows. One should understand my Maya. So this is Chatur Sloki, second verse. One should understand that my Maya, by whose real power, real objects are perceived through vidya and false objects are perceived through avidya in relation to the self. 
just as light reveals objects and darkness hides them. One should understand my yoga maya, by whose power some objects are revealed and some objects hidden, from the person who has realized the Lord, just as light reveals objects and darkness hides them. So first, his, his Mayan relationship to the material energy, to the conditioned soul. And then, in the, then he goes on to say, even his yoga maya conceals. One should understand my yoga maya by whose power some objects are revealed and some objects hidden from the person who has realized the Lord. His potency, his bewildering potency is working on the self, either in the conditioned state and also in the fully liberated state. That gives us some indication as to the the magnitude of the Lord's various potencies. We're not, there's not a capacity within the jiva, either conditioned or liberated, whereby without some veil, we would be able to not be completely overwhelmed by those unlimited potencies. So it's easy to understand that in relationship with the material world. That if we could actually see things for what they were and see the Lord behind everything and how everything is working according to his capacity, then it would be overwhelming for us. As it was to some degree just in seeing a small manifestation to Arjuna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. Arjuna wanted to see the universal form. Well, I don't know if he really wanted to see it, but he wanted he wanted for the Lord, because he knew of the significance of the discourse that was going on, he could perceive this this conversation is going down in history. People are going to hear about this. This is amazing what's happening here. Here I am on a battlefield, and here God is giving me... People are going to talk about this for ages to come. This is an amazing thing. Well, I better make sure that they understand who I'm talking to, because some people won't accept the fact he's already he's already given an explanation this, I'm that, and of that, I'm this, and anything you see in the world that's magnificent and wonderful and outstanding and strong and powerful and even of the cheaters and the liars and the thieves, I'm the best of, I'm a, I am the best of everything. There's nothing better than me. So surrender to me. Narjuna said, yeah, I can buy, that's no problem for me, but Krishna had been a little self-serving in these comments he's just made. You're a little full of yourself there, aren't you, God? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm so full of myself, I want to share myself with everybody. That's how full I am, and this is, this is the way you should see me. Everything you see in the world is just an infinitesimal spark of my splendor. What need is there for all this detailed knowledge? You couldn't handle it. Arjuna's there, I better do something here so there's some, 
I need to add some validity to Krishna. I want to support what he's saying, but I can't. What can I do? I'm just, Krishna could give us a little hint of that splendor. So he requests, can I see this universal form? No more did Krishna start manifesting uniform, universal form and Arjuna saying, enough, please. Four arms, two arms. The person I know personally, my friend, can you, that's easier for me to comprehend here. So it was overwhelming. Here in this verse, Krishna is saying, yes, he's kind of giving some hint to that, whether within the material world or whether within a relationship in the spiritual realm, Maya's got to come into play, either Yoga Maya or Mahamaya. And she's shielding us in such a way that we can we can at least approach the Supreme. Yoga Maya's influence can become so dominant in the Leela of the Lord that, well, you won't even know he's God. You won't even know that your son is God or your lover or your friend that you're going out in the woods to frolic with all day. You won't even know that. So that's how powerful this influence is. This has been a comprehensive Anucheta. We'll just read the com concluding commentary. The essential point of these passages is that Paramatma is endowed with supralogical powers, including that of Maya. Consequently, it is possible that the jiva, although referred to as a ruler, Ishvara, and liberated, Vimukta, loses its autonomy, Aishvarya, and becomes bound by the inert extrinsic potency. Bhagavan's supralogical power is such that even higher beings, like the Devas, are unable to properly comprehend his personhood. Maya, which is compared to a reflection, cannot contact Bhagavan any more than a reflected light can contact the sun. But the same Maya, by its transrational power, is able to exert its conditioning on the pure Atma. This is the essence of Maitreya's answer to Vidura's questions. In the next Anocheta, Jiva Goswami makes this point clearer by giving an example. So now we proceed to the 91st Anucheta. Jiva Goswami says as follows, Sri Maitreya again establishes with the help of an example that in reality the Jiva does not undergo such circumstantial, such circumstances, then in parentheses, the loss of inherent consciousness and bondage in its own essential nature, but appears to be subject to them only because of Bhagavan's Maya. I mean, this is a bewildering thing. If we're, I mean, we've, we've already heard about the, the intrinsic nature of the jiva, its nature, its what is our true nature. It's, it's amazing. Some look on the soul as amazing. I mean, Krishna even extols the virtue. Of, of the nature of, of, spirit, of spirit. And we are spirit. 
So how is it we become so wrapped up in the illusion of material existence? So Jiva goes on quoting Maitreya's response. It is because of this maya that the self assumes a positionality that is contrary to its inherent nature. Just as it appears to a witness of the dream state that he has been beheaded and other similar contradictions, even though such dream cognitions are without reality. This rings to a real deep understanding that spirituality, we can't just take it as a superficial endeavor. We have to come to this depth of realization. It's realized knowledge. We have to come to the point of realizing our true spiritual nature. And we're not going to do that until we completely accept the fact that we are not matter. Just to go onto the altar and touch... You're giving up your material body when you do this service, right? You have a mantra. Right. That's a pretty significant thing to enter into the service of just the deity. I'm not any material designation. If, I would, if I'm accepting myself as materially designated, how can I worship you purely? So please, you let this mantra transform me so that I can recognize my true nature. And in that true nature, I can worship you purely. And you, you accept worship due to the fact that I am purified. I actually am worshiping you as I am, not as something I think I am, which I'm not. When we talk about this conditioning of ourselves by the external energy, it is quite extraordinary that we accept this body as the self and we completely buy right into it. Hook, line, sinker, anchor. It can get pretty serious how much we accept what we aren't as ourselves. So when we hear this, like the Chatur Sloki, like when Krishna says at the beginning of the Chatur Sloki in the verse prior to the one we just read, if you see anything and you're not seeing me, you're not seeing reality. What a statement. You're not seeing reality. What you're seeing is not real because really there's only one thing. And I'm it. And I'm everywhere. And if you see me everywhere and see me in everything and see yourself in relationship to me, then your vision is perfect. And any other vision you have, it's an illusion. Just like that verse Jiva Goswami wrote himself. If you're not smelling the fragrance of the Lord's lotus feet, you're an illusion. You're not, you are not experiencing what you are. 
and you're not experiencing what Krishna is. So, wake up. All this knowledge here that we're going over, that this pounding of the post that Jiva Goswami just keeps, all right, can you, are you going to get this? I'm going to make sure you get this. You, you can't move forward in spiritual life. We're not going to get to the Bhakti Sandarbha. If you want to really practice Bhakti, you have to really know who you really are. If you're not there yet, well, I'm going to get you there. And we're going to see that in the next, the Anacheta after this, after these last two that we're going to finish up this evening, it's going to be like pounding the post. Heavy duty. He's going to go back over this point and he's going to make it in an Anacheta that's, it's a long Anacheta. <laughs> <laughs> and he begins it by saying, and now we're going to pound the post. He knows exactly what he's doing. It is because of this Maya that the self assumes a positionality. We accept a position in relationship to Maya that is contrary to our inherent nature. We're Satchitananda. We're eternal, full of knowledge, full of bliss. It's our nature. It's what we are. Why are we living this such a miserable existence then? We need to ask ourselves, what's, what's going on? Why am I buying into this? And we ask and we, we, we hear submissively from someone who knows the curtain can be lifted. The curtain is pretty thick. So therefore, it takes some time. It takes some sincerity of purpose. It takes good association. And it requires diving deeply into these philosophical points. I was just reading this morning in the discussion between Devahuti and Kapila Dave. He's already discussed bhakti, he's discussed gyan, and he's discussed yoga, explaining these all to Devahuti. And Devahuti then comes back and says, could you explain bhakti again? Because I know it is only through the understanding of bhakti that I can understand comprehensively the influence and the workings of your material nature. You're here and here's God as your child, Vatsalya Ras. Why are you trying to enter into a comprehensive understanding of material nature I mean, here's, here's the Supreme Lord and you're in His presence. Isn't that good enough? Isn't that all? Wouldn't that be like the be all and end all of everything that one would aspire to? But no, the point is being made. She's, she also is, is teaching by her example. There's some real significance to understanding the workings of the Lord's Maya, his external potency, and that way that potency is working on ourselves, 
there's some real significance to having a, that com completely comprehended in a very, very detailed manner. It's the way to attain freedom from the influence of the Lord's external energy. And that knowledge comes by way of, and that's the way this next chapter in the Bhagavad Purana speaks, that knowledge of in and of itself is revealed fully through the practice of bhakti. So she wants to know, how do I properly enter into bhakti so that I can attain this knowledge? That's what she's asking. I want to attain this knowledge, and I know the best way to attain the knowledge, based on what you just said, is bhakti's the easiest and most comprehensive approach. You've explained jnana, you've explained yoga, astanga yoga, and you've explained bhakti. Well, of the three, bhakti's the one I choose. Now, let me know more about bhakti so I can learn about my material conditioning so I can relieve myself of it. It's an important lesson you can see. It's right there in the Bhagavat that even someone like Devahuti is saying, I want to know how to do bhakti so I can learn about material nature. Again, the, ba the Bhagavatam giving us instructions, showing us, I mean, even, even her husband, Kardama Muni, He's not staying at home. The Lord's in his house and he's saying, I need to go out, and I need to become perfect. I need to perfect myself. I need to continue my practice. So now you can, you can take care of my wife. I know you're God, so you'll do a good job of it. So I can leave. Anybody else would be, I want to, I want to stay to stay, you know, home because now God's here in my house. And he's saying, I can serve God better by per continuing to pursue full self-realization. So this dream, the analogy of the dream is brought out a little bit more and how potent is that dreaming state? In a dream state, you can see your head chopped off. You can experience that as a reality. That's how potent Maya can be. Little of the commentary. It is not possible for the jiva to lose its inherent nature. Never was there a time when you did not exist. You're not in the future where you cease to exist. You're eternal, unborn, undying, ever existing. You're not slain when the body's slain. None of your essence is ever going to go away. Although it can sure seem like it, it can be rather devastating. Which is consciousness and self-awareness and become bound by the gunas of Prakriti. It's not possible. Yet, by the power of Maya, it does indeed appear to be the case. It appears that we're bound. But really... If we know what we are, it's not possible for Maya to overpower the jiva ontologically. It is not possible for one to see one's own head lying on the floor. 
because the very eyes used to see are within the head. Nonetheless, such a thing is possible in a dream, which is a creation of Maya. Maya makes us see things that are other than the reality. By the influence of this Maya, the jiva appears to be bound, though in fact it is ever free. In this regard, Sri Krishna's words are highly pertinent. And then a quote from the 11th canto. Depictions of the jiva as bound or liberated are relative to the jiva's identification with or transcendence of the gunas, which are subordinate to me. Yet such portrayals have no basis in reality. So Krishna is talking about the essence of the jiva, whether bound or, cons- or considered liberated, both conditions are really not of your true nature. And then it goes on to say that all this is, is of the very nature of a vidya. And then, this description is offered so that the jiva may ascertain the root cause of their apparent bondage. Jiva goes on to finish with one last statement from Maitreya's response to Vidura. And Maitreya now introduces another example. Just as the shimmering of the moon observed in water comes about due to the attributes of the water, so the attributes of the non-self, the body, seem to belong to the self, the witness, although they do not factually exist in it. And then, the, then he elaborates on the, the example given. That really, if we look at the moon as the self, the soul, but if we're looking at ourself in a pool of water, just as one could look at the moon's reflection in a pool of water, the moon could appear to be wavering, to be moving, and the analogy is unpacked somewhat. Uh, And Jiva says, the simulated or apparent eye sense is here compared to a reflection arising from identification with the Maya-created adjuncts caused by absorption in the notion that I am verily this body, etc. This indicates that the pure self nevertheless perceives these properties as non-different from itself. This principle is enunciated by Sri Krishna in the 11th canto. And then a quote from the 11th canto is there. Just as a man who sees others dancing and singing imitates them, so the self, although actionless, is made to follow the movements of the states of the intellect when it observes them. And he concludes, Therefore the conclusion is that because Bhagavan has supremely powerful, inconceivable intrinsic potencies that belong to his essential nature, he is not affected by Maya. Maya is one of his potencies. It can't overcome him. So he's that powerful. His extrinsic potency, even though it too is powerful and inconceivable. He's talking about Maya. His extrinsic powers. Power is also powerful. It is concluded, however, that the jiva is affected by Maya. Where does the desire of the jiva come into all of this? 
does the desire to enjoy separately from Krishna, does that come after the fact? After, there's, no after. there's no after. There's no after, because we're, we're here. Yes, but you have agency. But when we went over the characteristics of the jiva, intrinsic characteristics, then, so where does it come from? Well, it, it comes from the Lord's potency of ignorance. So, ignorance... Part of the potency of maya. Krishna explains that to Uddhava. And he, that verse has been quoted here in the Anuchetas. You should see both vidya and avidya as my bewildering potency. Um, what's um, the difference between yoga maya and mahamaya? Yoga maya is that as that bewildering potency that directly influences the environment and devotees in such a way that the Lord can engage in intimate relations with his devotees. So yoga maya is that yoga, is that maya of on the transcendental plane. But it's on this, it's on this uh, material plane. Well, when he comes, he brings yoga maya with him right. so that she can arrange everything. He descends fully with all of his paraphernalia and all of his associates. Mm -hmm. Yes, so she arranges things. Now, Mahamaya, mm -hmm. uh, what we call Maya in the material world, uh, she stays away from Krishna. She mm -hmm. stands behind so, him. So for that whole experience, she steps back from that and lets the other, the other yoga Maya take over that particular... Mm -hmm. You could look at it like that, yes. Hmm? No, just yeah, like it's not. I didn't look like how much were they a part of each other, or or were they separate potencies? So they are separate potencies then. Well, yes, ones we look at it as a perverted reflection. Mm -hmm. That terminology is used sometimes to see uh, the comparison between the, the Lord and His transcendental realm and the material realm. One is a perverted reflection of the other, so Maya is there on both ends. Right. And yoga Maya exists in in the um, spiritual world as well to create the. All yeah, the yeah, world. oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I was thinking about this, um, how the the, the jiva is um, like we influenced by. The Bahiranga Shakti, because we we are we have these bodies, we we made up of this everything that's made up of the Bahiranga Shakti Maya is right here. It's like wearing a, a suit, yeah, like wearing a, a space suit. Okay. And the jiva's in there, and <laughs> this is like Bahiranga Shakti. And now, but now we're trying to take shelter of the Surup Shakti with the Bahiranga Shakti kind of body, you know, like we're trying to. To so the acharyas, what the acharyas do yes. in order to just kind of cut to the chase yeah, here is absolutely. what the acharyas have done is they've they've mapped out actions that we can take in our suit, <laughs> so to speak, yeah. in, our, in our falsely identified suit, yeah. and those actions in and of themselves are sufficient to dissolve that coat of material armor. 
So that's what happens through the practices of, of bhakti yoga. We're hearing, chanting, remembering, worshiping, serving the divine. All these, all these practices, shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu, smaranam, padasevanam. The more we engage in those practices, that material existence actually is dissolved. When we see the, devo- the advanced devotees, even though we see a material form and we say, you know, the guru's got a cold, you don't look at the guru that way because you see the guru through the eyes of scripture and scripture tells us one perceives the spiritual master as you should not see him as having a material body. And so many other admonitions are there in regards to the sadhus that you don't look to the, the material characteristics of the sadhu. That you see them as transcendental. So, so we're 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 using we're using an intellectual tool there, aren't we? We're using an intellectual we're using our intellect to enter into the mysteries of spiritual vision that we haven't yet developed of its own accord. So we're given some entrance. You do like this. You chant like this. You pray like this. You worship like this. You read and study like this. You associate like this. You cook like this, you clean like this, and down to the minutia of uh, you bathe like this, you wear your clothes like this, down to everything that we do takes over our actions that were dedicated to the maintenance of that Bahiranga Shakti body that we occupy. To the point that the advanced devotees, they're not affected. So don't think that what Sukadev did, his walking naked in the world, is those kind of that kind of liberation is not attained by the bhakti yogi. He attains that same liberation, but he also has fine discrimination. And if he's still in the mode of uh, outreach, you know, he'll maintain some decorum. But really, his mentality is can become as purified and as as non-attached as uh, displayed by uh, Balaram Nityananda in the presence of the devotees walking into the assembly naked. I mean, <laughs> just like not carefree, not a care in the world. Lord Chaitanya's like, whoa, well, you can't be like this here. We have we have to we have to put on, uh, you know. Sadika, Sadika Daya, put on your Sadika Daya so that we can push forward this movement here. That's the process. The material body is being dissolved through the processes of and we even before the material body is dissolved, we accept and the mentality and we learn to see through the eyes of scripture so we know how to live with devotees, how to worship devotees, how to see the, how to, how to advance without offenses and, you know, all these things. The more we involve ourselves in the process, then the more the process involves us. Does that answer the question? We're not this body. I mean, just think about it. We're just trapped here until we no, you're not trapped. No, until we take a- you're not trapped ever. 
As soon as you get up and start chanting, as soon as you worship the deity, as soon as you bathe for the deity, whatever you do, you're doing for the deity, you're doing for the devotee, you're doing for the guru. What 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 are you trapped in? You're trapped when you don't do those things, yes. Then you're allowing yourself to be trapped. That's what I meant more generally. Okay, I understand. Well, I'm only worried about you. I'm, you're here. You're hearing. You have the the courtesy to come and, and and listen to a fool like me, and that's who I'm worried about. So, let's untrap you. You can untrap the world. All right. Thank you for your association. Hare Krishna.